This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. There are only two weeks and a few days left before the November 6th general election. Things are heating up and the squirrels are out. What does that mean? It means that in the dying days and weeks before any election, you name it, some charge or charges come out of a sometimes questionable spurious nature that really shouldn't make any difference in terms of how the voters make a decision who to vote for against one candidate or another that tries to embarrass that candidate or perhaps reveal they are flawed and cannot be supported. For instance, back in the year 2000, 18 years ago, you may remember in the dying days of the presidential race, the news came out about George W. Bush's drunk driving conviction years before. I mean, this is information that had been known by the Al Gore campaign uh, long before they put it out, but they waited until the final days. And many people feel it did make a difference in terms of how the vote went that year. A lot of people may have forgotten that Al Gore actually won the popular vote in this country by about half a million votes, even though he lost in the electoral college and George W. Bush became president. Now this year, just in the last week, for instance, John James, the U.S. Senate Republican nominee uh, was hit with uh, the embarrassing revelation that he had included a swastika in one of his TV ads. Uh, on a school bulletin board, it was stock footage uh, patrolling a school hallway. Apparently, this picture has been on other websites and elsewhere on the Internet. Uh, it's just a piece of uh, stock footage. Uh, there was a bulletin board and there was a swastika in the middle of it. We don't know in what context it was there, why the school would have allowed it. But John James was embarrassed to have this in his ad and he apologized for it and said, I take responsibility. Christine Barnes, uh, who is a <clears throat> Republican running for the State House of Representatives in the 71st House District just west of Lansing. She was a guest on this program several weeks ago. Uh, she was hit with charges that um, she has been involved in two bankruptcies um, involving her first husband, who subsequently died and uh, or had already died, and her second husband as well. So uh, the charge against her is she's fiscally irresponsible. She's uh, filed for bankruptcy twice or been involved in bankruptcies, and, and that should be a non-starter. On the other side, um, you have uh, the Republicans uh, who are backing Mary Trader Lang for Secretary of State asking um, about Jocelyn Benson, the Democratic nominee, what did she know and when did she know it? about her uh, ex-top campaign staffer being brought to justice for felony election fraud uh, after uh, Jocelyn Benson's 2010 campaign for Secretary of State, which she lost, but she's back again as a Democratic nominee. Uh, also, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the Democratic nominee for governor, has 
been criticized uh, about news that just came out that a couple of years ago up in Elk Rapids when she was leaving some kind of campaign event, uh, she inadvertently sideswiped somebody's car. The owner wasn't around. She left a note and said, I'll take care of this. Um, she subsequently did and apparently uh, parted ways amicably with the victim, uh, the car owner. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer paid for it. This was, you know, all supposedly in the past. But uh, Rick Jones, the uh, state senator, now uh, former Eaton County Sheriff, has said, you know, Gretchen Whitmer should have done under law anything involving a motor vehicle mishap over a thousand dollars. She should have immediately called the police and stuck around. Uh, obviously Jones has been uh, counterattacked by the Whitmer campaign saying this is ridiculous. It shouldn't be an issue. So these kind of issues just come up, uh, in every campaign cycle, uh, and about, uh, turnout on November 6th, uh, something to think about here. Um, I'm just going to point out that two years ago in this country, I think 135 million people voted. And that was a record, a record number of people voted nationally in the presidential race two years ago. Uh, that was 61.4% of the electorate. Okay. So the number 135 million may sound impressive, but 61.4% uh, turnout means that almost two out of every five people who could have voted did not vote. And two years before that, in 2014, that's a year that would be analogous to this year because it was a non-presidential year. It was a gubernatorial election year. Uh, 15 of the 25 uh, states uh, set record lows uh, that year in the election. The turnout was only 36.4%. So that means that barely more than one out of every three people eligible to vote four years ago bothered to turn out. And by the way, that means if we want to take this a little bit further, that among developed nations, I mean, we're talking about Great Britain, France, uh, Germany, Canada, Brazil, Australia, Russia, even you can go on and on and on. Um, out of 32 developed nations, we rank only 36 in terms of uh, participation in uh, elections. Uh, why are we so low? Uh, some experts and political scientists say it's because many states in this country do not emphasize what might be called civic education in their school curricula. I think we've all seen the embarrassing surveys about the level of ignorance uh, about basic facts of American history in this country. So this is not something to be proud of. And let's uh, stop beating ourselves on the breast about being uh, the world's oldest uh, democracy when we rank near the bottom in participation in our own democracy in this country. And by the way, uh, Michigan uh, among all the states, 50 states plus the District of Columbia, we don't do very well. We rank 37th on a scale of 1 to 51. Uh, we are contributing to being one of the 
least participating uh, democracies in this country in voting. Um, among our older citizens, 65 and above, we're 17th. Uh, so, in other words, our older voters in this state do relatively well compared to all the other states. But among our younger voters, uh, we're 32nd. Uh, younger voters being 18 to 24 years old, we rank 32nd on a scale of 1 to 51. Uh, that means, by the way, that all voters between age 24 and age 65 in this country, we rank really low. Like, we've got to be between 40th and 50th out of 50 states. By the way, what are the top participating states in this country in elections? Um, District of Columbia uh, is the top participating unit of government. It's not a state, but if you include it among the 51, it's number one. Among the states, uh, Maine is second in participation to District of Columbia. It's first among states. Utah is next, then Maryland, and then the state of Washington is fifth. And by the way, Virginia, the state of Virginia is ninth. So by my calculation, uh, District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia, which is right around the nation's capital, those three units, they are in the top. The bottom, uh, very bad. Uh, the worst is New Mexico. Next worst, Hawaii. Then Alabama, Indiana, and then Tennessee. And Michigan is the second worst among all the Midwestern states. Only Indiana has a worse record than we do. I'll be back in a minute. We've got a very important guest. I think you're going to be interested in this one. Thank you. Listening to the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We're back with a very special guest. Uh, people overlook the races for the state education boards uh, every general election. This is a pity and it's a travesty, really, uh, because these are very important. Uh, institutions. And uh, we have four of them on the ballot every two years. Uh, the University of Michigan Board of Regents, the Michigan State University Board of Trustees, the Wayne State University Board of Governors, and the State Board of Education. Each uh, elects two members out of their eight members every two years. They serve eight-year staggered terms, meaning that every two years, there's going to be two of the members of each one of these four panels on the ballot. And the problem is they're way down at the bottom of the ballot and nobody, I'm not going to say nobody, but too many people don't realize they're there or think, well, you know, now that I'm looking and finding these offices up for grabs, I don't know who these people are. I, I've never heard of them because these candidates don't have the financial wherewithal, the campaign cash that all the glamorous candidates like governor and U.S. senator and Congress uh, are able to collect in terms of contributions. Uh, so these people have to run on a statewide basis with little name identification and somehow manage to get elected. And we've got a guest on this morning who's managed to get elected three times. I mean, really quite remarkable. I think she can correct me if I'm wrong. She's tied with one other board member I can think of out there. 
uh, on one of the other boards uh, for the longest serving member of a uh, state educational elected board statewide. And she is Diane Donaskus, uh, who Good. was elected way back in 1994. Diane Donaskus, thanks for joining us. Oh, good morning, Bill. Thank you so much for this opportunity to uh, talk with you and your listeners. Well, listen, uh, you are somebody who I can really give the title governor to because it's the Wayne State University Board of Governors, right? It is. And uh, all these other people, they want to be governor, but they're not governor (laughs) yet. But you are a genuine governor. You are a governor of Wayne State University and no other university board carries that title. So, I'd just like to ask you, um, how did you come to run for the Wade State University Board in the first place, way back in 1994? Sure. Well, I was um, I graduated from Wayne and had an excellent education there in, in, in the field of education. And I believe it's just part of my belief that I should give back whenever I can. And so when they were looking for a candidate for um, the position, um, I volunteered to, to do it, and I'm really glad that I did. It's a it's an excellent university, and it's a, it's an honor to be a member of the board. Um, going back to being the governor, um, shortly after I was elected governor, Ingler asked my husband how it felt to be married to a governor. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was only a lowly state senator right, at one time. Right. You're the governor. He's only a senator. Uh, when, you, when you ran, um, and looking back at your educational past, you said you majored in education. Were you from the city of Detroit? Were you from the suburbs or what at that time? I was raised in, in, when I was younger in Detroit, but I live in Lake Orion, North Oakland County. And, but I took my classes at Wayne, um, both undergraduate and graduate uh, classes at Wayne and uh, in education. So I was a, an elementary teacher, then a special education tre- teacher, and then an administrator in education. So I really, you know, felt that my education background would be helpful on the governing board as we're looking at curriculum and and uh, the best in teaching for our students. Yeah, you got elected in 1994, um, mm-hmm. and yet I think you, you're a Republican, but Republicans have never been uh, in the majority, as I understand it, ever under the present Constitution, which took effect with the election of 1964, I mean, stop and think about it, 54 Mm -hmm. years, and there has never been a Republican majority on the board, so you've always been in the minority on the board. I think at least uh, for a few years, you can tell me better (laughs) than I know, you were the only Republican on the board, and there were like seven Democrats. I was a minority of one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me ask you, uh, when you get right down to it, what difference does that make in terms of being a Democrat or Republican on a university board? Some people have said, you know, it makes hardly any difference at all. Well, I believe it does. First of all, I believe that um, what I've seen in the past two years, because we elected a third member two years ago, so we now have a three to five board, is that the discussions are more robust and um, and we we dig deeper because there are more, you know, there are varying points of view and so we have, I think we have more intense discussions when the board has, um, you know, both a little more balance on it. Um, there aren't a lot of issues that come up that are particularly partisan for a university. Contracts can be that way when we're coming up with uh, union contracts. Those can become um, a partisan issue. Um, but um, that's the primary area where it's partisan. But... Um, you know, Republicans tend to be a little more conservative on, on spending. Um, but I'd say our board has, 
uh, worked very well together, particularly the last two years, because the balance is much closer than it was in the past. Yeah, one of the issues I can think of that wouldn't necessarily be uh, fiscal but it has fiscal implications, would be domestic partner benefits, which is a big issue uh, at various universities over a long period of time. And my question is, was that a dividing point for some of you on the board in the past? And or does it make any difference now that um, same-sex marriage has been held to be constitutional and validated? Is that kind of faded as an issue, domestic partner benefits? What do you think? It has. I mean, it hasn't come up for discussion for many years. Um, and I, I think you're right. The changes in the law and the changes in perception have, have um, diminished the, uh, the concern over, over offering same, you know, those benefits. So um, we haven't really discussed that in many, many years. So when you are running as a candidate for the Board of Governors on Wayne State University, what do you do? I mean, how do you get your message out? You're usually, uh, you're always nominated in a mm-hmm. state party convention, Correct. usually in late mm-hmm. August. And you've, you've got only like two and a half months uh, yeah. before you have to be on the ballot and mm-hmm. you have few financial resources. What do you do? Mm-hmm. And has it changed over time? Because you ran to be reelected in 2002 and then uh, after you won that, you were reelected in 2010. You're going mm-hmm. for your fourth uh, eight-year term now, right? Yes, yes. It's changed quite a bit since the last election. Uh, first of all, of course, the introduction of more um, social media. And so we have, you know, a Facebook page. We do email blasts. We, do, you know, blasts in different um, platforms. So getting the message out that way. Um, supporting our delegates who are become our precinct delegates because they're the ones who can get the word out, um, particularly to the outstate areas where, um, you know, Wayne isn't as familiar as some of the other universities. In fact, um, Wayne does face a challenge in that um, often people who live outside of Wayne County don't know that they can vote for Wayne because of its name. And so um, the drop-off is pretty significant. But so social media, um, you know, asking the, the party in, in different parts of the state to put signs out for us and get literature out um, and as much as you can to get the name out because, as you said, a lot of people don't vote for those offices. Um, and I understand that if they don't know someone, they're not they're reluctant to vote for them. Okay, we so- got to take a short break here, but we'll come back in a minute and pick up with what you've just been talking about. Diane Danaskis. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with an elected governor of the Wayne State University Board of Governors, Diane Donaskus, uh, who has served three eight-year terms on the Board of Governors at Wayne State. She's the longest-serving uh state education board member currently, I believe, uh, with one other person at another institution, I think it's the university of Michigan. Um, and I'm just, uh, intrigued by something you mentioned, uh, before we had to take the break. And that was, there are actually a lot of voters out there who apparently think when they find the Wayne state university board of governors at the bottom of their ballot, they say, well, I, I guess I, 
you know, I'm from Bay City or I'm from Grand Rapids or I'm from outstate Michigan. I cannot vote on that because that's Wayne State. That's Detroit. Is that mm-hmm. true? It is. I have um, people ask me every time I'm up for election and, uh, you know, I'll mention that I'm up for election and they will say, well, I, I don't think I can vote for you. I don't live in Detroit or I don't live in, in Wayne County. And so the name of the university itself kind of implies, you know, um, a relationship with, with Wayne, which, of course, it does, Wayne County. But it is a statewide university, and it's only, you know, it's one of the three where you do vote statewide for it. So it's a, it's a challenge to get that word out um, to, to folks. So um, going back to what you said at the beginning where um, the voters drop off at the beginning, or I mean at the end of the ballot, you know, I can only say keep going down, the best is yet to come because... <laughs> Those offices are important. I mean, when you think about it, um, you know, the education we're responsible for, this is our next generation of leaders, and um, we have a, you know, a budget of of $992 million. And so um, it is an important position um, because, um, as I said, we are educating the leaders of tomorrow, and so we really have to be diligent in our oversight of our universities. You know, it's amazing uh, just because you've got the name Wayne in Wayne State University Board of Governors, you say people may be discouraged from voting uh, in your race if they don't live in Wayne County. It's kind of like thinking University of Michigan is in Ann Arbor. So, you know, if I don't live in Ann Arbor, I can't vote for the University of Michigan Board of Regents. Nobody thinks that. And nobody probably thinks about Michigan State University being in East Lansing. I can't vote for that if I don't live in East Lansing. But when it comes to Wayne, they think, well, no, I can't vote for that. It's somehow different. Uh, well, that, the, the name of the county or the, is right in the name of the university. Right. So, you know. Right. Absolutely. Uh, well, let me ask you, do you uh, try to get around the state, uh, travel around? Do you talk to editorial boards, for instance? That's something I remember back in the day, maybe yes. 30, 40 years ago, you, you, these education board candidates had to go around uh, to various uh, newspaper ed- editorial boards around the state, have interviews, and hope that maybe the newspaper would endorse them and you know that would help them in that area and also they could take their endorsements the candidates could and they could publicize it maybe uh that you know they'd been mm-hmm. endorsed by such and such do you still do that that much or not i will tell you that is that has also changed in the last um eight years in that um it's more questionnaires now electronically completed online um and uh rather than an interview um so letter we I submit information to the editors of of the media around the state um, and uh, fill out the questionnaires that are asked for um, from all the uh, from all the media. Also, um, there have been um, more opportunities for um, videotaping for certain organizations, and then they will, you know, they will post your interview. And of course, interviews like yours are great; they're very helpful as well because. Not only do they get the name up, but they inform the public. Um, you're helping the public to understand better the the, uh, the role of of the you know educator boards, and uh, so that's helpful as well. But it has definitely changed. It's much more electronic now, in terms of how we are getting the word out to the media. Right. Have you ever had uh, over time, and and this year, I'd be interested if there's any change in this debates or joint appearances with other candidates. 
uh, either electronically or, you know, actually, uh, live debates that might be covered in some local market somewhere? No, never in the past. We are, sometimes we are candidates from both parties or all parties are invited to local organizations to speak, um, but it's not a debate. It's, you know, it is come and meet the members and, you know, you give a, a, a small talk, but no, never a debate. Have you done that this year? I mean, you've been invited somewhere and the candidates have all shown up and, and talked? Um, you know, it's, it's rare that everybody can get there, and there are many more requests this year than there have been in the past as well. So I'm glad to see the interest, actually. It's, it's, been, it's been great to have so many groups interested in the, in the positions this year. Um, but it's hard um, for everyone to be at one, especially when you're running statewide. So sometimes um, I, my colleague, David Nicholson, is running with me. Um, he's, a, he's a great member of the board. And so if we have two invitations for around the same time, he'll go to one and we'll talk about our role on the board, and I'll, I'll go to another one and we kind of talk about each other as well as our own candidacy. Yeah, that's another thing about these boards. I want to make sure our listeners realize if there's a vacancy on the board for any reason because of death or resignation, the governor gets to pick the replacement. Now, David Nicholson, I'm trying to remember, was he elected with you in 2010 or was he an appointed member? Uh, Daniel Carmanos was elected with me and then she uh, had to leave the board. And so David was appointed as a governor. Right. So in a sense, he's running for election really for the first time, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Well, you've had some very uh, interesting members of your board over time. You can tell me a lot better than I can list them here, but I, I think Debbie Dingle, who's now a congresswoman, wasn't she on the board at one yes, point? Yes, she was. She ran. For, she had one term on the board, uh-huh, was chair for a while on the board. Um, we've had uh, you know people from all walks of life, uh, labor leaders, um, Debbie, of course, who's now a congressman. Paul Hilligans, um, wasn't Paul he Hilligans, on? Paul yeah. He was a um, former uh, Speaker of the State House of Representatives. Yeah. John Kelly from uh, the legislature was a member of our board for a period of time. Um, several attorneys um, and uh, community activists. Um, speaking of longest serving, I, I am currently the longest serving board member along with um, my, my colleague on the University of Michigan board. Um, but one of our former members who was on the board when I first got on was Leon Atchison. He'd been there 30 oh, years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I still remember yeah. that. And in fact, I think the only reason his service ended was because he was not renominated by his own party. Yeah. He wasn't was defeated correct. in the general election. I always yeah. thought that was a travesty. Anybody who's been excellent. on 32 years, for heaven's sakes, yeah. should at least be renominated by his own party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that is mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, He's a wonderful person. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, how have you gotten along uh, personally with all the members on the board? I mean, you come from all different walks of life. You come mm-hmm. from different parties. You, you've got different uh, professional backgrounds. Uh, how's that worked out? Well, I will tell you, even when I was only a member of one <laughs> Republican on the board, because of my background in education, particularly when it came to, to issues that directly dealt with with instruction, curriculum, um, I found that the you know I found the board to be very willing to listen because of my background. Just as I would listen to someone with a financial background on the board as we're dealing with budgets. So I think the fact that we do come from so many walks of life um, 
is really contributes to the health of the university because we have attorneys, we have you know business people, labor leaders, um, educators, um, and I think that um, makes us a very well-rounded board. So um, always respectful of of people's opinions, not necessarily agreeing by any means, but respectful. Yeah. Our listeners ought to realize, I mean, the governing boards of these universities, uh, ultimately they are the policy setters for the particular board. For instance, you, uh, choose the president of the board, right? How many presidents have you, uh, served with? I have served under five, um, president and yeah, five, um, five presidents and I've selected, uh, been in the selection process for four of those. So, wow. That's quite an experience. We're going to take another break here, but we'll be back with another closing segment with Diane Donaskus, governor of the Wayne State University Board of Governors, running for re-election this year. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. Our guest today is Diane Donaskus, who is a governor elected for an eight-year term, three eight-year terms in a row, 24 years on the Wayne State University Board of Governors, the longest-serving board member in the state right now, along with one other member at the University of Michigan, who is, I think, Andrea Fisher-Newman. They are both running for re-election on their respective boards, uh, Andrea Fisher-Newman at the University of Michigan and Diane Donaskus at Wayne State University. And I'm just going to ask Diane Donaskus, what are the major issues facing the Board of Governors today and facing Wayne State University? Well, our first concern in our our primary um, directive is to graduate students as quickly as we can so that they incur the least amount of debt possible, and get to the job market. And so we have really been concentrating, particularly in the last few years, on increasing our graduation rates so that, um, you know, our students are graduating in time. And not only is it important for them to get in the job market, but your debt is less if you if you take less time to get through, you know, your, your, to your degree. So we've really been working on that, closing the gap between minority students and um, and student, non-minority students uh, has been a focus. One of the keys to our budget is that we're trying to make sure that the primary um, um, focus of our budget is on academic achievement and that when we're, you know, starting new programs, that that is the direction. And it's been very successful. We are recognized this past year. We received national recognition for our growth in um, graduation rates. We're very proud of that but there's still a way to go. So we have more work to do, but we have really worked hard, and it has, it has paid off for our students. Um, second of all, of course, um, the unfortunate situation with our sister school regarding sexual harassment has brought that to the forefront, and so the university's been very proactive in um, training students, training faculty on the need for awareness, the sensitivity of these issues, and how to work with um, students or staff who are experiencing any situations like this and um, how to respond. And, you know, in my opinion, and I think the board agrees with this, the, the two key factors here in anything regarding harassment of any kind are immediacy, you have to address it immediately, and transparently. Um, you know, I think that's what your reputation has to be built on is 
that students know that if there is a problem, that you will deal with it quickly and and effectively. So that is that has been a recent, a very recent challenge. And then um, always um, making sure our professional schools uh, maintain their stature and that we uh, maintain our Carnegie One research status. Um, we have one of the largest medical schools in the country, and um, so making sure that we maintain the excellence. Um, it's been ranked very highly, um, and we want to maintain that because most of the doctors um, that come out of our school are put up, set up their practices in Michigan. So Wayne supplies a lot of the doctors in our state. Yeah, what what is the uh, size of the undergraduate body of Wayne State, and how many professional schools at the graduate level do you have? Well, let's see. We have about 1,200 students altogether. 1,200? 1,200. Yeah. It's, as I said, we're one of the largest medical schools in the... Oh, oh. Uh, medical schools. Okay. Me- medical. Yeah. Oh, in the school itself? Yeah, I mean, like, undergraduate. Oh, how big is your undergraduate body? Oh, okay. About... Okay, so you're talking this undergraduate. We yeah. have um, about 20... About 1,700... 17,000, excuse me, undergrads. And then we have, you know, then you have your professional schools, graduate schools. So our total... Um, our total population of students is somewhere between twenty-seven and 28,000, probably. Wow. And this year, we had our largest um, incoming freshman class. Wow. You, you yeah. mean at the professional level or undergraduates or both? Undergraduates. Undergraduates. So in other words, though, your professional schools, you probably got 10 or 11, uh, you know, enrollment, 10 That's or 11,000 right. enrollment in the, in the combined graduate schools uh, on top of 17,000 undergraduates, that's a pretty high percentage. Uh, well, what other professional schools are there other than the medical school? We have law school, pharmacy, and then, of course, you, you know, in other schools, you have degrees that would be considered, you know, professional degrees as well. So, um, but uh, those are the primary um, professional schools. What about finances? I mean, look, that's obviously always a concern, but it just seems to me that over the last half century, what's really uh, bad that's happened to uh, major research institutions like Wayne State University is the fall off in funding from state government. I mean, you know, the percentage of money that you have to work with now that comes from state taxpayers, from the legislature and the governor is much lower now than it was half a century ago. You have to go out and raise the money in other ways. What about that? You're absolutely right. It has flipped. Um, you know, 20 years ago, or a little more, you would have had, you know, the majority of your tuition funded by the state and a smaller portion to the students. Now that it's flipped, where the students are paying a, more of the tuition, more than 50%, and the state is paying less. So um, I think it's probably close to like 60, 40, or... Um, even on a little bigger gap than that. So this means that, you know, tuition increases have, have occurred over the last few years, which is very difficult because particularly for, you know, we can give support to many students, many qualify for financial support, but uh, many do not. So it's not only the burden of paying while you're in school, but it's the debt that occurs that, that you're left with afterwards. So um, that's why we are focusing uh, so much on trying to get students in and out in four years so that they're not there for five and six years and, and incurring more debt and delaying their start into to the job market. Um, you know, in a perfect world, we would, we would have more funding from the state, um, but I don't see that on the horizon right now. 
Um, I would like to think it would go up, but I, you know, given the budget right now, I, I don't see it as a, as something happening in the near future, but we'll keep asking. We'll keep working towards it. Um, so, uh, we try to keep it as low as possible. I will tell you that Wayne is always, last year we, we did have to raise it 2.9, but we, we try to stay under what's allowed by the state if we can. Um, and we always raise the amount of financial support we provide in proportion to what we raise tuition as well. So try to mitigate it as, you know, as much as we can. Um, right. L- let me ask you this. You, you majored in education when you were attending Wayne State University as a student. I'm just kind of curious. Do you have any idea uh, what out of 17,000 undergraduates, what's the percentage of students that major in, in some way, shape or form in education? I don't have the exact percentages, but it is declining. Um, and not just at Wayne, but it, you know, it is less than it used to be. Um, I think probably the, um, teaching has changed a great deal. It's not the same, um, as it used to be. There's, uh, there are a lot of restrictions, a lot of, uh, demands on teachers. Um, they don't, they aren't always looked at in the, in the same, with the same perhaps respect and reverence that they were years ago. Um, and so, um, you're seeing fewer students in education than we had in the past. So, um, I, as I said, I can get the number. I don't know exactly how many, well, that's but I okay. do know yep. that we are not getting as many students in education as we used to. Yeah, well, that's probably not a good thing. Um, no, it's not. Uh, let, let's just uh, say, has the university had to kind of slightly alter its approach in the way it, it's teaching education today? because of changes in the job market for teachers and, and in education and uh, the different uh, way that teachers are maybe looked at today and the problems they face today compared to, let's say, 30 years ago or 50 years ago? Uh, or is, is the university pretty much keeping the same curriculum and acting in the same way? No, I think they have responded to the changes. One of the things that we see university-wide, it's not just education, is the response to the to data mining, the need for data. And as you know, as you know, we live in a world of data, and we can access it instantly. But in our education, in education, um, our teachers and our students they are involved a lot in a lot of assessment, and they use a lot of data now to track progress. And so um, one of the, the areas that our students receive far more education in now than they did, you know, years ago, would be just in that. How do I assess uh, the progress of students? What do I do in response to the assessment and, and the results of that assessment? So a much more data-driven um, uh, response in, to, to education and to learning. And so um, that was a, that's a change for, uh, in our program and in response to what is happening in the world of education. Well, Diane Danaskis, I want to thank you very much for being a guest on The Political Insider and uh, giving our listeners a taste of uh, higher education on the ballot November 6th. Don't forget these education boards, Wayne State University Board of Governors, University of Michigan Board of Regents, MSU Board of Trustees, State Board of Education. They're all on the ballot. And no matter where you live in the state, you can vote for all of them. You can vote for Diane Danaskis. You can vote for uh, her running mate or for Democratic candidates for any of these panels. Diane Danaskis, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you again. I appreciate the opportunity.